Welcome to the Voices of Diversity podcast. I'm your host, Rocky Howard. I identify as she, her, Black, Christian, Gen X, wife, mom. These attributes are dimensions of my diversity, of who I am. They are part of my unique value proposition and how I add value to the world. And I believe it is time for the world to hear the stories of people like me, those who are underrepresented in corporate America. The mission of this podcast is to humanize diversity, one story, one conversation at a time, to share the impact on those who identify as being underrepresented as they go through life in corporate America. I hope you will listen to this episode with open hearts and open minds as today's guests tell their story. They are a voice of diversity. February in certain parts of the globe is known as Black History Month. In acknowledgement, celebration, and in partnership with our sponsor, Smart Recruiters, we will be hosting a series of chats with just a few of Smart Recruiters' best and brightest Black leaders. If you are not familiar, Smart Recruiters is leading the modern talent acquisition suite market, and I am so proud to be Smart Recruiters' Chief Diversity Officer. Ready to replace your old-school ATS and help your organization achieve hiring success? Then check us out at smartrecruiters.com. This is the final episode of our four-part Black Leadership Series, and today's guest is my colleague, Dorian Stewart. Dorian is Smart Recruiters' Head of Demand Generation. Dorian has a bachelor's degree in psychology, a master's degree in communications management and technology, and as an added bonus, Dorian speaks Korean. Dorian is a mental health advocate who believes in the power of empathy. And in this episode, Dorian shares how empathy from all sides, from those in positions of power, from those who are underrepresented and their allies, can positively change the conversations about race. He talks about the responsibilities of allyship and calls on allies to personally invest time and energy in doing the work. He shares the energy it takes to show up in the world as a person who's underrepresented. To quote Dorian, I don't get to choose when and where racism impacts my life. I don't get that opportunity. It affects me every day whenever it wants to show up. I am humbled and honored that Dorian Stewart is today's empathetic voice of Black leadership. Well, good morning, good afternoon, good evening, no matter where you are in the world. Thank you for listening to the Voices of Diversity podcast. And I am excited today because this is the final episode in our four-part Black Leadership Series. And I am honored to be doing it with my colleague, Dorian. Dorian, will you do me a favor and introduce yourself to everybody today? Hello, hello. Good morning. Uh, Dorian Stewart. 
I'm the head of global demand generation at Smart Recruiters. Happy to be here with you today. Oh, I'm so happy that you're here. Um, and we're going to dig into what you actually do for a living. But before we go there, you know, I believe in multiple dimensions of diversity. So can you tell us how you identify? Yeah, I think uh, really quickly I identify as Afro-Latino. Um, I'm he and him. Uh, I'm a father, a husband. Uh, so uh, as you know, you're not just one thing. Uh, a lot of people look at you and call you a bunch of different things. But my mother was born and raised in Panama, immigrated over to uh, the U.S. when she was about 18. My father is African-American. We can trace our roots back to maybe three or four generations back in Texas. Uh, so a nice mix of, uh, of histories between the two. Well, that sounds like a melting pot for sure, right? <laughs> yeah, yeah. I love and, that. And, you know, my, my father tried to, uh, he actually tried to find uh, our roots and our lineage and had a pilgrimage back to uh, Texas and to Louisiana to try to dig up the old records. It was a very emotional experience for him. And it was one that just sort of highlighted, you know, uh, one of the things I preach is don't know where you're going if you don't know where you've come mm -hmm. from. And so to kind of go through that experience and to have a dead end, you know, a cul-de-sac of our history uh, was uh, just illuminating, right? And, and kind of telling of, uh, you know, so much of what we struggle where you're not able to kind of know where you're coming from and it kind of creates this identity crisis at some point in your life. So it was really interesting to kind of go through that with my father and experience that. Uh, you know, and, you know, just like I said, it just becomes a part of who you are and part of your story. It does become part of your story. And I absolutely believe that, which just triggers a bit of a question um, because history is important. And so there's this conversation today about whether Black History Month is still relevant, still important. Why are we still doing this? Do you have any thoughts on that? Yeah, I actually find it pretty frustrating, right? I saw the, the story not too long ago about the, the school district in Utah that had parents opting out of whether or not they wanted to, to learn Black History Month. Uh, and yeah, I mean, if I could look each of these people in the face and have a one-to-one -one conversation, I would love to be able to do that and just sort of just understand the lack of empathy that somebody might have, right? Uh, to Just for you not to be able to take yourself out of your own shoes and to say like, you know, this is history that's not being taught on a regular basis. All we're asking for is for just a little hyper focus for one month where we can dive deeper into this history that's not taught on a regular basis. Uh, so, yeah, the lack of empathy that I'm, I'm seeing on a global level, um, it's just it's really frustrating and really disheartening. Um, you know, all, all we want is for us to, to understand our history, where we come from and, and to share in that experience with uh, with the broader audience. So, uh, yeah, I just say it's, it's disheartening. Well, and again, I think to your point, it's we're asking for a hyper um, awareness of history that's not taught. And so um, right. I align with you in that struggle because my struggle is that black history is American history. Latinx history is American history. And so if we're not telling the story as as an integrated part of history, um, then we have to have this type of emphasis on it so that our children understand all of their histories because black history is American history. And we like to yeah. kind of set it aside, don't we? Yeah, absolutely. And, and to that end, I mean, uh, just in the summer was a an eye-opening experience for a lot of people, right? I'm sure you got a lot of text messages of people saying that they're standing with you, they understand you, and maybe people asking for, uh, you know, for things that they could read, resources. And 
you know, one, I was I was honored to be able to share my experience and to, to point people in the right direction. But two, it's also like we're mid thirties. We're you know we're we're functioning adults in society. Like, how have you not had this exposure to what you know what we're calling U.S. history? So it's one of those things where if we want to produce wholesome, well-rounded individuals, we need to teach them a kind of diversified and well-rounded uh, curriculum in school. So, uh, you know, empathetic people, I think, is really the key to a functioning society. And without that, uh, without that history and without that, that exposure early on, we just kind of find ourselves as we do now, where we're sort of in these polarized uh, bubbles and chambers. And uh, I don't know, that's kind of the crux of, of, of a lot of the, the strife that's going on right now. It is. It is. I want to give a little bit of context to people about your experience and how you walk through the world. So tell us this whole global demand gen position. It sounds really <laughs> sexy. I know what you do for a living, but can you share with our audience not only what you do for a living, but tell us a little bit about how you got here. What was your journey? Sure. My journey, as uh, as most people uh, that you'll talk to uh, in my generation, having graduated college around 2009 at the time of the economic downturn, our journeys wasn't very linear, right? Um, but head of global demand generation, ultimately my job is to support sales in their efforts, uh, top of funnel. I host conferences, webinars, and events to help uh, just sort of bring in as many people into the smart recruiters environment and ethos as possible. Uh, and then further on down the sales funnel, uh, don't want to get too business languagey with it, but as we get closer to as conversations and, and relationships nurture in the sales process, my job is to have the right touch points with the right individuals to help educate them on the smart recruiters uh, approach. But uh, kind of backing up a little bit in my journey, uh, 2008 happened, 2009 happened, the world went crazy and, you know, jobs <laughs> went down the drain. Uh, and I didn't know what I wanted to do at that point. I had uh, transferred a couple schools in college. I didn't get the opportunity to do like a study abroad like a lot of my friends had. Uh, and so I had the opportunity after I graduated to go and teach English in Korea for a year. Oh, wow. Um, and yeah, it was uh, it was one of those things where anyone I told about it, they were like, you, a black dude, going to go teach in Korea? Like, what's that going to look like? Uh, and I was a little nervous, right? I didn't know what to expect. I didn't know any Korean. Um, but I landed over there in uh, in this uh, small town called Ulsan, where nobody really spoke English. Education level wasn't that high. So by the time I left after a year, I was speaking third grade level Korean. Um, you know, the folks out there really took to my experience really well, started calling me Obama teacher, Will Smith teacher. So <laughs> I left with <laughs> a huge head and I was like, I'm the man in the streets. <laughs> I love it. <laughs> Uh, but I came back and, and really that time in Korea gave me a lot of opportunity to kind of be by myself in my own thoughts. I had a, a small one bedroom apartment to myself, did a lot of reading, a lot of introspection, a lot of meditation uh, and, you know, decided I wanted to come back and, and be involved in education in some regard. Uh, so found a job with Scholastic uh, Books and really started my marketing chops there. I was a marketing operations coordinator and kind of worked my way up the ranks. Ultimately, uh, got a, uh, a master's in marketing while I was uh, while I was there while I was there as well. Scholastic did a good job of supporting some of the uh, the extra uh, education efforts. They you know provided a little stipend for for education as well, uh, and made my way back to the Bay Area in 2014. Started getting into the tech scene a little bit, uh, and kind of you know moved from company to company where opportunity presented itself, and and find myself here now. So. Um, I'm really proud of my journey. I think, you know, my first job, I was, uh, you know, I, I said I was a marketing operations coordinator, but my job was really to look at prices, 
item numbers of books and really just compare the two and make sure that the book, the title, the item number and the price all matched up. And it was very menial work and very thankless work. But, um, you know, to kind of be here where I am and, and, the, and the work that it took along the lines, uh, you know, really, really proud of my journey. Oh, I'm proud of your journey, too. I want to go back to the time that you spent in Korea, because to your point, it had to be a unique experience. You being a black man in this small community in Korea, where I can imagine there wasn't a lot of diversity. So can you help us understand how that formed potentially your experience there and returning back to the States? Yeah, I mean, the my world hinges on the idea of empathy, right? And just putting yourself in someone else's shoes and understanding why they might react in the way that they do. So I'd like to tell this a couple stories about, you know, somebody kind of interacting with me for the first time. I got off the elevator once and somebody literally went, oh, <laughs> you know, and like jumped back in shock. And, you know, at first I was wow. offended, but then I was like, you know, if you had never seen a brother in your entire life in person, what would be your first response? And then I started to think, like, what would it take for me to have that response for somebody in the States, right? Like, if I saw somebody, you know, like, I don't know. I don't know what it would take, but, um, you know. And so it just kind of understanding their perspective kind of helped me sort of uh, kind of ease my reaction. Uh, and the second one, which is a little comedic, I was standing, uh, I had a friend who was standing at the corner uh, he was uh, the other black dude in my town. Standing at the corner, a little Korean boy walks up to him, licks his hand, looks up at his mother and says in Korean, no, he's not chocolate. <laughs> and so, you know, again, it's just like uh, these are just wild, wild tales of just, you know, people who just don't get that kind of exposure. But uh, ultimately, I think it just, you know, helped me to kind of see life outside of my own two eyes and, and my own experience and, um, you know, taking a little bit of time to sort of, uh, I, I took that job, you know, it, I could have looked at myself as just a teacher there, but I looked at sort of myself as an ambassador mm -hmm. to America, right? And kind of taking the time to explain, no, uh, you know, my skin is not dirty on this side. I'm an African American, my skin looks a little bit different and kind of just walk them through why I am who I am. I was introducing them to jazz music, playing Roy Ayers in the classroom and, uh, you know, just kind of exposing them to all different kinds of things so that, uh, you know, when they have that limited exposure or whatever that exposure might be down the road, they're able to connect it to an actual individual. Uh, and I think that's uh, something that's missing, right? When when you talk about diversity, it's like how much interaction and exposure are you having to actual people, not the idea of these people, right? And so I'm not Will Smith teacher. I'm not Obama teacher. Like, that's Dorian. I met an African-American man, and he's this varied individual uh, that comes with a lot of different experiences. I'm able to connect to him and relate to him in a way that is much deeper than uh, a caricature of, of what an African-American is. Absolutely, because unfortunately, the characters usually tell a singularly dimensional story and not a multi-dimensional story, which leads us to some of the biases that people have um, as a whole. And that doesn't just apply to being black or being a black man. That That is biases as a whole, right? Because we can't control how any one particular dimension of diversity is portrayed. But 
I do find that the media creates stereotypes and then you go to your point, you go someplace where no one has ever met you and then all of a sudden you become part of the stereotype because they don't know another way to connect. And the way to connect is really to sit down and get to know Dorian and get to know whoever the person is and and then to learn from that. It's it's a really really good point. Let- yeah, and I just think that people just need to be like more conscious of the inputs that they're taking in, right? Um, and how, what are the portrayals of people that you're seeing on TV? Uh, and I'm just, I've been personally more conscious of that lately. Uh, you know, I, I try to limit how much of the uh, kind of, you know, one-sided stories or just stuff that doesn't necessarily have the, the depth and the, uh, uh, and, the, and, the, and the different layers that I think I need. Um, because I, I just think it can it can really affect your mental a little bit. Yeah. So you really um, said you lead with empathy, right? And you obviously lead with positive intent. And so I'm curious, have can you share any particular challenges when we come back and think about your career, right? So we, we think and see the challenges you had when you were in a different environment were certainly... Arguably, you were more of a minority than you are here in the United States, right? So now, if you think about the challenges that you've had in terms of your career and moving forward that may have been related to how you show up in the world, are there particular challenges that you would want to share with us? Yeah, and it's interesting that you say that too, Rocky. Like, when I look back at my time in Korea, I'm able to count the number of Black people that I knew in my town, right? When I look at every tech company that I've joined, uh, Smart Recruiters now being sort of the exception, uh, I am able to count each of the black people at the company that I've been at, right? Um, Any leadership role that I've been at. um, And I'm assuming counting on two hands, right? (laughs) (laughs) Exactly. Exactly. So I, I actually don't see it very differently, right? I look at myself sort of always as this outsider that is constantly having to represent for a much larger uh, you know, sort of, uh, you know, represent a much larger uh, group of people, right? And so uh, I think, you know, the challenges are numerous, right? I don't know what opportunities haven't been afforded. I don't know what, uh, you know, what caricature someone might have of me. Um, I am constantly aware of how I present myself in a room, um, how I, uh, you know, how I react to things. I was, uh, you know, at a previous company before where, you know, sales and marketing had a really contentious relationship and just the the language that people use was very flowery and aggressive and uh you know i didn't think i could have that same sort of approach in a room mm-hmm. right so if somebody came at me very aggressively i have to take a couple breaths think okay now are they going to see me reacting as dorian or are they going to see me reacting as uh, an angry angry black man that can't control his emotions and so that you know just having that double consciousness, if you will, to think like, uh, I'm aware of myself, but I'm also aware how that person is looking at me and perceiving me, I think it's, it can be very stressful and, and anxiety inducing, right? Um, and so that's, yeah, that's just something that I think I've always been aware of. I had uh, a previous manager as well, you know, kind of tell a story of uh, how he was mentored and his boss said, you know, uh, your hair's a little long, uh, you know, and if you just kind of flip it to the side and, and cut it down a little shorter. And he was kind of explaining this, like, this white haircut, right? And he was saying that, like, his boss was giving him suggestions on this haircut that will help him be seen better by his bosses. And I was like, well, 
what about me? Like, what if I want to wear an Afro? And like, what if I, you know, what if I want to have kinks in my hair? Like, I, like, do you not, do you not know who you're telling the story to, right? And do you not know how this might uh, negatively inf- impact my view on how I can, you know, uh, climb the ranks a little bit? So just that, that level of uh, uh, kind of oneness within this uh, homogeneous environment is kind of, I think there's a lot of parallels between my time there and kind of what it's like in the tech industry. Yeah. Yeah. And I want to go back to what you said, because there is a price that we pay and it it often winds up being anxiety and exhaustion, et cetera, even when you assume positive intent, because you are required to what we call code switch, I think, in a way that other people are not. So when you are speaking, do you find yourself being not only multilingual in terms of, you know, being your third grade Korean or any other languages <laughs> you learn to speak in your household, but do you find yourself code switching in terms of how you show up and interact? It sounds like you do based on, you know, kind of that quote that like, if someone comes at me this way, I can't respond back that way because then the repercussions are different. Yeah, absolutely. So there's a couple of things I want to respond to with that. Like one, uh, I'm a huge advocate of mental health therapy. And so I'm going to say this in, in the, uh, with the aims of kind of making sure that we're normalizing mental health therapy. I was talking about this with my therapist, right? Uh, and she was just saying, you know, like, you don't realize how much weight you're carrying every time you don't give yourself truly and and fully right every time you take a breath and think twice before responding and somebody else isn't doing that like you are carrying weight right and so a lot of what i'm working through with her is like how do i bring my true self and my real self to work and and not have to give that second breath so that's one thing uh secondly you know um every time i wear one of those patagonia vests and walk into the office (laughs) i am code switching right like that i I, I, that, that's not part of how I dress. That's not part of my culture, but it's one of those things where, you know, you put that on and you're fitting into this, uh, into this mold, into this sort of, uh, this character. Um, and so, yeah, code switching is, is as natural as breathing to me at this point. Um, I am well aware of the, the stress and the anxiety that is added to my life, but, uh, it's been a survival tactic and a survival mechanism at this point. Right. And so, uh, just working through what that's meant for a lifetime, you know, 30 plus years of, of, of doing that. Um, but yeah, it's just, it's, it's natural at this point. Yeah. I really appreciate you calling out the mental health aspects and for, you know, I think mental health in and of itself, um, is something that we all need to focus more on and not be embarrassed with and not be ashamed of and actually count it just as important as we do our physical health. Um, I, I have invested in tons of therapy and do it anytime I see fit. Um, but ironically enough, for those of you who may not understand, as we're talking about different dimensions of diversity, um, therapy is often not included as an exception acceptable option in communities of color, even more so than other communities and is looked down on and, and, or we don't have access to it. So I really appreciate you calling that out and how important it is, even from a career perspective to have access to those types of conversations and how even the lack of that type of access could change and alter how you show up at work. It's an important part of the conversation. For sure. I'm, 
Yeah, I, sorry to interrupt. I'm just I, it's something that I talk about with my parents, and my family all the time, and you know, you bring it up and you say, yeah, I'm, I have an appointment with my therapist next week. Oh, well, what's wrong? Well, what's the problem? And it's like, well, no, there doesn't have to be a problem. The same way we talk about going to the dentist or the, you know, a physical doctor for a checkup is how we need to talk about mental health therapy. So, yeah. Agreed. 110%. I, I want to continue down this pathway just a little bit, right? Um, I'm wondering if in all of the code switching, et cetera, do you feel like you, especially on the back of last year, did you feel like you have to make choices? I find that um, sometimes if you're part of the underrepresented, you have to make a choice. And part of that choice is either speaking up in advocacy of, and then being disproportionately viewed as being militant or, you know, only be being seen as one dimension of your diversity or being quiet. And then when you're quiet, that has some internal angst and repercussions as well. I'd love to hear your point of view. Have you had to make that choice? Yeah, so frequently. Uh, and it's something that, um, you know, I come home and my wife is super supportive of my journey and my experiences. And, you know, she come, I come back and I kind of tell her about, you know, somebody that maybe crossed the line or did something that was, you know, frustrating or upsetting. She's like, well, why didn't she say something? And I'm like, you know, baby, if I was to spend all day, every day teaching and correcting people for the transgressions or the missteps or the things that you know rub me the wrong way i would be doing that literally all day and i just i have to pick and choose my spots and so that's what it is for me it's just a matter of like how much energy do i have in this moment to either correct you and and have the conversation that's necessary to give it a uh you know the full attention that it requires because the last thing i want to do is give a half approach to teaching you about something that you messed up on right uh so do i have the energy in that moment and so a lot of times it's on the fly if i have the the energy and the 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 time to to dive into it but uh you know sometimes you just have to cut your losses and go yeah maybe i'll get to that later or god bless you yeah. you know and just kind of save your energy um you know cuz i had somebody at work approach me about the uh you know the protests on the freeways and they're like, well, why would you block the freeway? Like, what if there's an accident coming and, uh, you know, like a, a, an ambulance needs to uh, to get through? And I was like, listen, I don't get to choose when and where uh, racism impacts my life. Right. I don't get I don't get the opportunity. It affects me every day whenever it wants to show up. And so if you had somewhere to be at this time and your freeway exit, exit happens to be blocked. God bless you. That's just about something you have to deal with right now. Right? You didn't but, get to pick and choose uh, on that one moment of this one day. <laughs> thank you. Thank you. So uh, so that's what it is. I, I welcome and appreciate all forms of protest and 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 rebellion as it relates to uh, to issues of race, because, uh, you know, it's just it's gone on too long, man. There's just it's 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 something that we've had to carry for far too long. And however it manifests itself in in in. People need to to kind of uh, experience what you know what we're going through on a daily basis. I'm I'm all for it. So let's stay there for a minute. Let's let's take it in a different direction. There are certainly people who want to be allies. There are company leaders who want to yeah. do the right thing, want to learn more, want to understand more, don't want to make the mistakes. So from a perspective of true allyship or inclusive leadership, what advice would you give? 
it's to do the work, right? You need to you need to personally invest your time and energy into doing the work, right? You need to expand the books that you're reading, expand the movies and the documentaries that you're reading. What podcasts are you listening to? Like, is it is everything you're listening to? Are there white leads? Like, do you are do you have any black podcasts that you listen to? Uh, what you know, just what inputs are you having into your life that uh, that reflect the world that you want to see, right? Um, and so that's one of my things. I, like I mentioned in the summer of uh, of George Floyd, just the amount of people that didn't know where to start. And I'm like, well, no, like find just find different avenues, find different things to read that just sort of uh, uh, kind of expand your horizons a little bit. So that's my thing. It's just it's putting in the work. Um, you know, I there's no uh, black person I know that didn't take African American studies in college and didn't read Malcolm X's autobiography and like he just did all these things. These these are things that you didn't have to do, but you wanted to do because you wanted to learn your history and your culture and learn about it. Uh, and so that's just the the advice that I give to people that you know that aren't black uh, or don't you know identify as black is like do the work. You know, do the work. Do the work. <laughs> yeah. I know that you're a father. I know that that's an important part of your life. And congratulations. We just had a, a, a new member of the family show up in the oh, world. Yeah. Oh, yeah. So I think from the perspective of fatherhood, when you think about the next generation and the next generations coming behind us, what what do you wish for? It's a great question, Rocky. I think... Uh... The first thing I think of is just I I wish that they don't have the the same burden that we do, um, you know. Um, if we can make things a little bit easier for them and they can walk in a world with a little more privilege, uh, you know, then then I think I've done my job right. Um, ultimately, we're gonna expose our kids to a world of, of different experiences, but I just. Uh, you know, just hope they don't struggle as much as we do in, in, in whatever aspects that is, right? So um, it's as simple as that. I don't know what that looks like exactly, but, um, you know, just hoping for that. Yeah, yeah. I so appreciate you, and I appreciate the heart of which you have shared with us so openly today. You know that this platform is all about giving a voice to people who identify as being underrepresented. And this is your time. I'd really like for you to tell this audience what it feels like to walk through the corporate world as someone who's underrepresented. Yeah, I mean, it's uh, it can be lonely at times, right? You know, I think there's a lot of responsibility and a lot of weight in being one of the only of whatever you represent as. Uh, and so... Uh, you know, just the, the responsibility you may feel in in succeeding, representing and showing up the right way and uh, like all of that, like I mentioned the, the kind of the weight and the stress of that earlier, it's just, it's heavy, right? It's a big albatross that I would ideally not like to have to, to do that, but uh, it is what it is. <laughs> it's just, I don't know, I, it's, it's just, uh, I just would like to just, you know, be able to walk freely and not have to necessarily have that level of double consciousness, if you will. Yeah. And I think that's a good call out, not you would, people who walk through the world and corporate world as underrepresented have a level of double consciousness that 
typically if you're in yeah. the majority, you don't have to worry about. And yeah. I think that's a great way to wrap us up today. Thank you so much for your time, your point of view. Congratulations on the new little one. Thank you, thank you. Robbie. And uh, thank you for wrapping up our series with such great insights. We appreciate you. Fantastic. Thank you, Rocky. Love you. Have a good one. Thank you for listening to today's episode. The mission of this podcast is to give a voice to diversity. I believe that the interactions between all voices, minority and majority, can change the narrative of how the world communicates. And by changing that narrative, we can change the world. Join our mission to humanize diversity, one story, one conversation at a time by sharing our episodes, especially with those who are privileged and in positions of power. Help the Voices of Diversity podcast be a catalyst for courageous conversations and most importantly, for change. I'm your host, Rocky Howard.